Hi, you are listening to Mediation Station, and this is your host, Greg Fenton. Each week we explore topics and ideas related to the experience of people with conflict and look to promote the profession of conflict resolvers. We are available to connect with at greegf at primus.ca and 647-227-4734. Visit us at our Facebook page to like us and Facebook group page to become a member. Also visit YouTube channels for both CHHA 1610 AM and Greg Fenton. Listen to podcasts of each radio show by visiting either of SoundCloud.com or iTunes podcasts under Mediation Station in the Arts area. Please follow us at our Twitter account, which is at Fenton Mediation. We have a conversation that's titled Identity, It's Power Negotiating. And our visitor is Sharad Karur, and he's with me now. So, how are you doing? I think I'm okay, Greg. Um, so, first of all, thank you very much for um, having me here. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here at uh, CHHA 1610. Um, and I think given the circumstances of what we're all facing today, I think uh, anywhere where we're healthy and safe is a good place to be. Yeah, and I appreciate you dropping in, which, you know, we've done our due diligence with regard to social distancing, cleaning ourselves, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You did. You were very good at greeting me with gloves in hand and wipes in hand. And yeah. Making me um, feel you know, we're isolated. I think people should know we are isolated. You're sitting in a booth over there. Yeah. I'm sitting across from you with a glass shield between us. Yeah, and I can't uh, breathe on you too hard. No, you can't. No. <laughs> and you likewise with me. Same here. Yeah. Anyways, we, we know each other well enough, and uh, I appreciate you coming tonight. And, uh, you know, we're going to have a good conversation. Thank you for I having just, me. I just yeah. feel it. Yeah. Good. How about we start off? You um, share some information about the pathway that brought you to be at the point of your your professional journey. Yeah, you know, one of the things I often talk about when um, either I'm teaching or I'm giving some uh, some lectures on on difficult conversations or conflict is to be able to say that the path we started on when we were younger, especially in school, wasn't the path that we actually ended up in later on in life. And that was the case for me. I mean, I started my academic career in industrial relations, um, studying labor relations at Queen's University. Uh, later on, I actually ended up working in the trade union sector and then did a master's of industrial relations and then started to work in the association field. I first started working with the Association of Municipalities of Ontario, where I was there in uh, corporate services for about 17 years and then became the executive director of the Ontario Nonprofit Housing Association um, for about 14 years. And uh, that was completely different work, but somewhat related because I was doing a lot of government advocacy work and you need to use a lot of uh, conflict resolution skills. Uh, when you, you're, you mean there's uh, differing perspectives there, out there? There are differing perspectives. And uh, I think my approach when it came to the world of um, advocacy with government was to um, not go in as an individual asking for things and uh, expecting government to give me something in return, but actually going in to form a relationship. Uh -huh. And that was very important to me, is, is the nature of the relationship and how we can actually work together to actually... Well, you went in, though, with the, the mindset of a the template of a relationship though. We I did. I don't I don't want to pretend that I actually had figured that out right off the bat. But I think initially when my 
uh, approach to government didn't yield anything, the first question I had to ask myself was, what if I were sitting on that side of the table and listening to myself? What would I actually be hearing? And I didn't really like what I heard in the old, uh, in the old guard mm-hmm. or the old uh, people uh, who structure. were in a more traditional mindset. Maybe. Yeah. So I I put myself actually in the shoes of the individual with whom I was having the conversation, mm-hmm. and soon discovered that when I was dealing in advocacy work with government, governments also had particular interests and particular issues that they were trying to get resolved. And if we could jointly resolve our our interest and our issues together in a way that actually made us um, more uh, together or more uh, cohesive, mm-hmm. when you say that, then we would get some traction with each other. And I think I discovered that um, it wasn't just our sector that needed the government. The, sec- the government actually, actually needed our sector just as much for a variety of different reasons. Yeah, they can't function uh, in a silo without... You know, provide. Well, I mean, the government's there for a purpose. They've been elected. Then they create these entities, departments, services. That's correct. And they need yeah. to reach out to, you know, society at large. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they they are elected by people, and uh, being elected by people, they're representing the interests of the people who elected them. Uh, governments themselves have their own interests that they're trying to. Uh, get across, one mm-hmm. of which is, of course, to remain being the government, to get reelected again. Mm-hmm. And so that in conjunction with other people who are coming to them looking for a resolution to their challenges and their issues and, and to get their interests ma- uh, met, um, creates a very much of a, a sort of a symbiotic relationship. You're hoping, anyway. Hoping, yeah. And I think what's interesting about all of that is if you study um, some of the theoretical aspects of negotiation, I'm not here to talk about theoretical aspects of negotiation, but some of that suggests that um, win-win situations, as an example, gets you partially what you want and partially what the other person wants. Um, And if that's what you're satisfied with, that's great. But to really get value add um, out of it, you need to have a collaborative relationship. And that takes you to a completely um, extra dimension, if you will, that needs to be considered when you're dealing with uh, Mm -hmm. any kind of negotiation or any kind of conflict situation. Yeah, there's another mindset of looking at the situation and the persons with whom you're going to be involved in some way. That's right. And there has to be a different kind of effort that's right that's going to be needed in terms of trying to get ultimately what all of us want yes so on that path so this is going back to my yeah. my journey Your pathway yeah, yeah my pathway in terms of uh you know ending being executive director of the Ontario nonprofit housing association i i started exploring what i wanted to do for a so-called career 2.0 and a career coach actually helped guide me through that whole conversation on what I should do or shouldn't do. And she actually suggested that I actually uh, look at mediation, which was part of my academic training anyway. So I was quite excited about that mm-hmm. and started to explore where could I take this training. And uh, I was a little full of myself, I should say, at that time because, you know, I'd had a master's degree in industrial relations. I'd studied dispute resolution. I mean, I sort of 
thought I knew it all. Well, you, you had a sense of entitlement here, maybe? I, I, perhaps I did, but I thought, you know, this is going to be an easy thing to do because I decided on the York Continuing Education course, and actually that's where you and I first met because you yeah. were my, my coach the, um, in mm. one of the weekend sessions back uh, when I was taking the program. But I think what I, I discovered about myself there was how little I actually knew because from the time that I'd actually studied dispute resolution to the time I was now in this career 2.0 transition, I discovered that a whole new science had been created. And it was very, very exciting because a lot of work had been done, particularly by the Harvard Program on Negotiation and uh, individuals such as Roger Fisher and Sheila Hain and Doug Stone, who had written um, very contemporary books that focused a lot on meeting parties' interests and relationships. Mm -hmm. And I found, found that fascinating because it was actually quite different than what I had actually studied when I was in university because that science had yet been unexplored. Um, so for me, it was like giving a kid a new toy at Christmas and saying, now unwrap this toy. And the more I unwrapped it, uh, the, it's like layers of an onion. The more I peeled the onion, the more things I discovered that I really liked. And so mediation happened to be the tipping point of much greater study for me in the area of negotiation, conflict, why people get into conflict, how they can get themselves out of conflict, typical behavior patterns, and so on. Yeah, which I can relate to a lot as uh, a person who, you know, navigated from one career and then thought about a, another possibility. And then I said, no, that's not me. Because I had thought about that earlier. And that what I'm talking about is law at one time. I just said, hey, that's not part of my mindset, my fundamental in terms of engaging with people, which is about collaborative approach. Right. Working together, together, yeah, rather than against, which yep. traditionally the justice system is an adversarial positional approach to working with people's differences. It is, and so yeah, I did the shoe store thing yeah. for many years, which was a uh, hard to fit feet. Yeah, fitting. That's a good of, analogy. Yeah, well, I worked with the special fittings for a number of years, and so I just correlated that to, yeah, how do you connect that? I connect that to migrating to mediation because yeah. I took the course yeah. too at an earlier point in 97 and uh, I just found that my efforts in the shoe store with the specialty fittings was very similar to needs and interests. Working with people, trying to forge a relationship with the customer who came in because they come in and they say, hmm, I like that shoe. I yeah. want that shoe. Yeah. And then you look at their feet and then you ask more questions. Yeah. And you say, hmm, that's not quite maybe the best in terms of your needs here. Yeah. Your interests are such that let's try and work together to find something that can satisfy all of those right. things. Right, right, So Yeah. yeah. And, and uh, you know, much, much along those same lines, I think mediation for me was sort of the starting point and understanding the mediation process was great. But then when I started to really think about, well, what was actually mediation trying to accomplish? It started taking me back to the genesis of why people actually approach mediation. And my theory is that mediation is necessarily um, uh, an avenue of resolution. And it's only one avenue of resolution. There are many. The rights-based system in courts is uh, the typical one that most people default to. But um, that avenue of, of resolution necessarily, in my opinion, comes from failed negotiation. Parties 
on you know whether it's a workplace or whether it's um, a civil case or whether it's a personal case always I think attempt to resolve their differences um, the best they can um, but things happen things get in the way one of which is strong emotions get in the way and when strong emotions get in the way and parties get themselves locked into their positions uh, conflicts emerge and there's a very very um, predictable pattern of behavior that occurs in that so when I started to look at these things I started to recognize the fact that if I could actually step back from mediation um, that is go backwards from mediation um, perhaps what I could do is um, help train people on what to look for and perhaps how to also alter their their typical patterns of, of behavior when they had a conflict situation. So I started doing a lot of teaching in the area of mediation and also with um, difficult conversations and um, negotiation. And these are all foundational. I mean, mediation is... When you say foundational, what do you mean by that? Well, I think when we teach mediation to people, we're teaching them a process, but we're also teaching them some very important skills, one of which is how to be an empathetic listener, um, how to help parties reverse engineer their positions back to where those positions came from, namely their interests that help build those positions, and then helping them to have a conversation with the other party. So we're actually facilitating a communication. And all of those skills, whether you are the individual that is facilitating that for two parties, are still skills that you yourself can use if you were actually having a conversation with somebody and were in a conflict, just yourself and somebody else. The skills you need to be able to deal with those situations are no different than the skills a mediator needs. And I would identify those as life skills. They are very much life skills. I understand you have a couple of friends overseas listening. Do you uh, want to do a shout-out? Yeah, can things? I do a shout-out? Yeah. And hopefully they're listening. It's, maybe uh, they'll call in. And maybe they will. Um, it's five hours ahead over in England. It's uh, Pippa and Dean and their kids, uh, Laura and Henry. And if you're listening, um, hopefully on the Radio Player app, uh, um, hello. Yeah, okay. All right, so I'll... Now, can I say a shout-out to my wife, too, Margaret? Uh, you're you're pushing it now okay, because I right. have a limit of okay. two. All right, all right, well, go ahead. Oh, okay. Hi, Margaret. How are you? And if you want to call in, Margaret, <laughs> you can do so. Four one six seven eight five zero six eight zero. You know, how would you describe the influences in your life? You've made conscious decisions to do different things at different points. What contributed to that? You know, that's a um, that's a that's a very um, interesting question. I, I'd say. Perhaps not so much what influenced me as who influenced me. Yeah, I put it out there there, yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, I think I, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't say my father was an influence on me, um, even though we, we, you know, fought like cats and dogs. And I think most sons and their fathers, you know, fight like cats and dogs at some point in their life. But as I reflect back in terms of all of the lessons he taught me in life, and particularly the fact that he was a teacher and I really enjoy teaching, I think I get my teaching prowess from from him and uh, how he interacted with his students and the relationships that he had with his with his students and I remember after he passed away the the uh, funeral home being completely uh, crowded with uh, you know three or four hundred of his students over the years that came to uh, pay their respects and I was actually mesmerized by that and t and really touched by that experience um, so I think he was sort of at the top of the list um, there was a professor friend of mine who was my very first teacher and my 
business, uh, my commerce degree uh, business program at Queen's University. And um, an interesting story on that is um, in my first industrial relations course I was taken, um, the professor actually had us do a role play on a mediation. And uh, it was a shuttle mediation. And uh, I had never knew what this thing called mediation was. Um, he threw me into the role. He said, I think you'd make a pretty good mediator. Um, and of the role players with um, being mediators, um, I was the only one that actually got the parties to an agreement. And I really have to say that as a consequence of that, I started to get a true appreciation for what that might present to me, although even back then I perhaps didn't really fully know where that was going to take me. So I'd say that professor, who also became a very close friend of mine before he passed away, um, uh, was a strong influence. And, and believe it or not, I'm going to tell you, Greg, who my third influence was, and I'm, I hope you don't um, laugh at me about this, although I suspect you I might. sustain my yeah. uh, composure yeah, as much okay. as possible. All right, this is going to sound, Let me like, close my mic, maybe. sound like a nerdy answer, but it has to be Mr. Spock from Star Trek. Mr. Spock, from this Star is Trek. this is a make believe character. It is a make believe. A Perhaps it is make believe, but 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 I think what influenced me about him was the fact that he was here was a guy who was struggling with his own identity. Here was a character struggling with his identity, half um, Vulcan, half human, logic side competing with the human emotion side. Yeah. And I think what I appreciated about that character, not that I identified with that. Um, except to recognize the fact that from an identity standpoint, that kind of struggle within individuals always occurs. And unless one actually recognizes uh, identity issues, it's very hard to be able to um, get conflicts resolved. Well, even when I said that it's a make-believe character, I think writers of shows, movies, books, they get their ideas from lived experiences of themselves. Whether they've lived them directly, they've heard of others... Somehow it's garnered from somewhere. Even in the fantasy world, I think those ideas come from somewhere. They do. And they have some profound lessons for us. You know, even even if they seem entertaining, they're, you know, when you reflect yeah. back on them, they can actually teach you a few things. Yeah, they're representative of something more. They are. You yeah. know, and, it's, and, I, and it's, it's sort of like a challenge for us to say, okay, what do you see? And then what do you don't see? Right. Which is a lot of the symbolism of an iceberg that I put out there. You see this large mass floating on the waterline, and if you use the symbolism of a person or a situation, that could represent something, which it does. Yeah. Though the whole extent of it, or the depth of it, is really below the waterline. Really below. And people tend to stay above the waterline, don't they, when they're mm -hmm. looking at and focusing on, you know, here's my position, there's your position, and then the battle of the positions start, when in fact if they actually dove underneath the iceberg to uncover um, interests. A, a wealth of opportunity and possibility, That's actually. right. That's the right. The information of this is what on the top, this is the why below. Right. And to learn that, that's, you know, part of what you do, I believe, yeah. is part of your world of instruction, it teaching, is. coaching. Yeah, it is. Um, but what I'm trying to also instruct and teach people is that there's a there's a natural sequencing of things to do. If you explore how people attempt in their best efforts to actually resolve conflict, 
there are usually two approaches um, that are taken. One is the belief that the other individual whom you're having the conversation with is responsible for fixing the issue and or acquiescing to your position or meeting you somewhere in between um, without ever taking into account your interests or in some cases not even taking into account their interests because they really haven't thought through how their positions were actually formulated in the first place. Um, the other um, the other typical pattern is the fact that we get caught in this belief that if we just stay above the waterline and figure out how to actually meet in the middle, we will have actually solved the problem. And that's perhaps true in the short term, but in the long term, mm -hmm. it's not much of a solution because, you know, the Band-Aid gets peeled off at some point. Yeah, and, and it uh, exposes or opens up to something that we didn't realize if we don't have that sense of openness and curiosity. Right. And we think we know it all about right. the other person or the situation. Right. So one of the things I like to get or explore with people or get people to think through is where did they actually uh, get their position from? How did they actually come at the position that they're taking um, relative to the position of the other person? And if, you th if, if people think about it, um, some influences based on their needs, their values, their fears, or their concerns actually had a role to play in terms of formulating those positions. And so my commentary back is if you want to dive below the waterline um, to reverse engineering those positions, the first place to start to look at is your own fears, values, beliefs, and concerns. And then explore the fears, values, beliefs, and concerns of the other individual to see how much they differ from yours or where there is some common interest before you even look at positions. Well, I think that people, though, are feeling a sense of, for whatever reason, and we could go deep into that, that, you know, they're, they're going through this circumstance and they're the only one that matters at this moment. And the other person, well... You know, they'll have to deal with it on, in their own way. Of course, that's not the ideal, the healthy way. And that's where right. services or supports or right. work that we try to do to help people to move from that to right. another place. Right. But there is one other element I wanted to add to that. And that is, while it's okay to look at fears, values, interests, and concerns, the, the notion of identity, I think, also comes into play in terms of how it influences so what, what, the when you say that word identity, the identity, what comes to mind? Please? Yeah, well, I, I think identity is is how I see myself. So if I were looking at at, at identity, um, focusing on myself, I would say, how do I see myself? What do I see myself from a worthiness standpoint? Um, do I see myself as being a competent individual? Do I find myself uh, worthy um, of being a good person? Um, uh, you know, what is it that um, enables me to continue to to ensure that I feel that worthiness, to feel that I'm a good person? Those things are imp about as important, or probably even more important than um, interests of fears, values, needs, and concerns, because they're about self. And so if, for example, you were having a conflict situation to resolve with somebody else, an extra mile to go is to be able to determine what is it that is influencing their feelings of their worthiness, 
their feelings of their competency? Is there anything that I could be doing that actually enhances it as opposed to throwing them off balance? Because quite frankly, when our identity issues do get trampled on, um, it does throw us off balance and off kilter. So interests are one thing, identity um, is, is another thing. And there are very sort of specific areas um, of identity that can be um, identified. Uh, one of which is, for example, um, our desire to have affiliation or to be connected with others. Um, you mean relationships? Relationships, and that can be inside the workplace, outside the workplace, within the community, outside the community. Um, you know, I, the, the analogy I use is, uh, you know, picture the fact that everybody at, uh, you know, 4 o'clock on a Friday afternoon um, has been sent an invitation to come to the coffee room for, um, for coffee and donuts as a way to wrap up the week. Everybody got invited um, through an email except mm -hmm. you. How would that make you feel? Well, how would you know, though, that you weren't invited? Well, I think, when you, that see, I think when you see people running to the coffee room for tea and donuts and they're saying, hey, uh, you didn't know, you get one of those you invites? Get one of those invites? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a sort of a, um, uh, just a, a light example of how, how, you know, affiliation and how being connected mm -hmm. to uh, groups or being connected to uh, other individuals is an important element of our, um, our identity. You know, we have the, the concepts of identity, power, negotiating. From your perspective, what do people generally see identity as being? You know, I, my feeling is that um, I don't know that people actually think about identity um, per se. Um, I think if you were to ask people about what they thought about the concept of identity, they'd probably not be very clear and probably say, well, what do you mean by that? Um, so I think, I, I don't know that people actually focus on that. Um, well, maybe not on the word per se, yeah. though the concept of what it might mean, and that leads me to ask you, who identifies identity? Oneself or another person? Well, I think it's usually um, a combination of the two. Uh, the individual will have an, an unconscious view about their identity. Um, and I think it raises itself to a level of consciousness when their identity is attacked or they feel a sense of, of unworthiness or if they were um, trying to um, serve a particular role and that role was attacked, let's say in the workplace or even outside the workplace, um, or their sense of autonomy was being attacked, um, those issues start to then, then come to the surface. Don't people, though, lump in with identity stereotypes, assumptions, judgment, all those kinds of things that, hey, you're one of those people. You're one of them. And that's, you know, maybe a stereotype if we wanted to unpack that. What do you mean by that? What do you... What are you really saying there? Yeah, well, I think we can we can certainly take just about anything and and uh, and say there's a negative aspect to it, and that would certainly be the negative aspect of identity, where we actually extend mm -hmm. it out to you know from a cultural standpoint to be able to um, uh, to to think of people being a certain type of individual based on uh, a stereotype that we then translate into uh, some measure of identity. Yeah, and I'm you know my idea here on the program through the course of the different weeks over time is really to unpack some of these 
concepts, these ideas that we hear about that people don't maybe as much as they could learn of and about and say, okay, so I heard that word, and they don't challenge yeah. about what the notion of that yeah. really means and, and I, how they're affected by yeah. it. Yeah, and I think, I, I think just merely posing the question in terms of, of what, what do you mean by identity or what do you feel identity means to you is enough to be able to raise it from an unconscious level to a conscious level mm-hmm. and to help people think through. But I think the important thing about thinking through identity um, in the arena of mediation and in the arena of conflict resolution or difficult conversations is to recognize that if you are surfacing identity issues from your unconscious to your conscious, then it does you well to also surface or recognize those identity issues in the individual with whom you're having the conversation or with whom you're, you're trying to um, resolve a dispute because they too will have a certain identity. That identity will also, much like our our uh, conversation earlier, Greg, about uh, trying to get below the waterline to explore interests, identity is similarly below that waterline mm-hmm. um, that needs to be surfaced as well. Yeah, and that relates a lot to when people make a judgment of some form based on a physical nature of someone, the color of their skin, the clothes they wear, a lot of times that's based on the surface. Right. There's no acknowledgement or sense that there's more to this person. Then that area is below the waterline. Right. A lot of people don't go intentionally below the waterline. They stay at the surface for whatever reason. Right. And so that can become problematic for people who are thus with that projected identity on them. Right. The stereotype, the prejudice, and say, hey... That's my goes back to the question, like who who's responsible for identity, the person who tells you about you, and how they see you, or how you actually see yourself. Well, I think it ends up being a way to be able to rectify the conversation, doesn't it? If somebody is projecting their version of an identity on you, that is not um, an accurate identity mm-hmm. or an accurate. Uh, version it's misinformed it it's is lacking mis- in detail misinformed. Mm-hmm. it's then incumbent on you to help um correct that and that therein lies uh, a pretty good constructive conversation to have although we tend not to have constructive conversations sometimes don't we i mean uh, i think i think in in uh, everyday life those kinds of issues come at us um more as an ambush than actually as a uh, as a deliberate yeah, you're blindsided by it. Yeah. It's uh, whiplash to you. Yeah. It's like hit you blunt in the face yeah. with words. Yeah. Not always with a physical yeah. Ax- yeah. action per se. And then we actually then um, fall back on what I refer to sometimes as the other typical behavior we have that actually perpetuates conflicts. We fall into what is referred to as a conflict trap. And those conflict traps um, end up where you are caught in a standoff. You know, you attack me, I attack you, attack you. Yeah, that's the reaction thing. It is, and and all that does is serve to escalate emotion rather than... uh, So all of these things have a genesis in terms of how we actually uh, react and how we actually handle... Or how we see each other. How we see each other. And um, I think that the, the learning here is to be able to say, well, what are those typical behavior patterns and how are they working for us? And if they're not working for us, then we ought to change those behavior patterns. So for you, what's the uh, connection? Is there a connection? Because I won't make an assumption, though, of course, I'm going to make an assumption in some form, that uh, of identity with negotiating. 
I think there is a very strong connection. I think it's a forgotten connection. All right. Um, largely because if we uh, start to talk about, um, so let's start with talking about positions. We all know that just focusing on positions of the parties is actually Let's not unpack that a little bit more yeah. for the benefit of okay. the broader okay. listener. Um, so typically, if I am taking a position on something, let's say um, the value of a car uh, that I'm selling to you and you're buying, and if we focused just on the fact that the price of the car is important to us, maybe we were, were able to haggle on that um, a little bit and find a, a middle position. But if I discovered a little bit more in terms of what is your interest in, in selling this car and what is my interest in buying this car, perhaps we were going to come out to um, something that's better than just trying to haggle over the price of, of the car. If I actually go a little bit deeper on this and to be able to say, well, what is it about the car that, that you know, touches you? And what is it about this car that touches me? It's kind of a trite mm -hmm. example. I'm going a little bit deeper now beyond just the interests of, of, of why you want to sell this car and why I want to buy this car. I'm actually trying to focus on what is it that's really important about this, this vehicle. What do you value? What, what does do it I mean value? to you? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And what is fair? Fairness is very much of an identity issue. Well, I, I would say it depends because, you know, when people negotiate, there are individuals who look at it from how much can I acquire from the other person yeah. for the benefit of myself solely or uh, what you referred to earlier, which is totally what I'm all about, collaborative approach. Right. What can we see from this that we can each benefit from and maximize for a mutual benefit. Yeah, and that that really goes back to the nature of ensuring that when we're dealing with these kinds of situations, we're taking relationship into into account. And we value that. We have to value that. Um, because even if it appears on the surface that there are no relationships um, in play, uh, that this is purely a transactional negotiation, there is a relationship behind there somewhere. I'm... All about relationships. So, you know, generally when people, I say that, people say, well, we don't have that relationship, similar to what you're saying. And I'm saying, you know what? We have relationships all the time with everybody. They're different kinds of relationships. We have intimate ones. We have formal ones. We have passing ones, superficial ones. We have all we kinds. Do. Yeah, very much so. And so all of those things are part of um, our identities, aren't they? Um, it makes it makes us feel how we feel about ourselves and how we feel about the world and how we feel about the others um, whom we interact with every day. And how much are people actually aware, self-aware, of how they see the other person and how they process how they see that person into factoring how they interact with that person? I think they need to um, become more aware if they're not already aware. My My view is that much in the way as we teach conflict resolution, difficult conversations, mediation, negotiation. We're making people aware of certain things that they perhaps weren't aware of before, of which things like um, the difference between positions, interests, and how identity plays into all of those uh, difficult conversations or conflict resolution or negotiations um, come, in, come into play. So it is very much an awareness issue, I think. Well, what I do is I'll take one of the words you said and I'll soften it. When you say we make people, 
I'll reframe that to say we provide a space for people to connect with it in their way. Well, fair and enough. then they have ownership on what to do with it. Yes. So the whole concept of self-determination, ownership for in the individual to say, what, I see this, this is what it means to me, and this is what I'll do with it. Right. And hopefully, ideally, in a productive, healthy converse relationship, that it's like considerate of oneself right. and considerate of another. Right. That is, that's, the, that's the effect we hope for. Yeah. But along that path, I think what we need to do is also help people by giving them the tools they need to show them how to do it. So yeah. we, can, we can talk about what to do. We can talk about why it should be done, but showing them how. Yeah. Just to give them some insight in terms of some of the tools and techniques, I think will help them along the way. And totally, you know, when we try to introduce skill sets, if people don't under, understand or appreciate from my experience... The concept, unpacking, what is that meant? What does that mean? What could it mean? What's the possibilities? Trying to get the skill on the why would not necessarily resonate as right. well or easily for the individual. Right. And so I like to try to educate, inform people about the broad depth of possibilities with regard to this right. word. And then they get a hopefully a better con way of connecting with it. Right. I'm sort of I'm sort of a, 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 I deviate a little bit on that front. Um, I mean, why? I mean, I, well, well, I'm why? with I'm with you on that. It's I'm okay. You. you don't have to be on the <laughs> totally you. here. But I, I just think from a from a from a teaching and an educational standpoint, the way I approach this is largely to show people what the typical um, patterns are that are used and why those patterns aren't effective. So. You know, the typical conversation pattern of trying to resolve a conflict um, by actually arguing about positions, by talking about the fact that you need to fix this uh, because this is your fault and uh, not recognizing your own contribution in terms mm -hmm. of how to, how to help resolve that are, are typical human patterns. Now, I'm not trying to uh, say that um, everybody is wrong in terms of exhibiting that that behavior pattern. I'm just saying that that is the normal pattern of behavior that we uh, human beings use when we're trying to negotiate or resolve conflicts or have any kind of difficult conversation. And so what I challenge people to do is sit back and say, okay, how is that working out for you? Mm -hmm. um, how, how's the emotion in the room? Are Reflect you, on it. Yeah. Are you getting to where you wanted to mm -hmm. get? Did you actually create a solution to this issue in a collaborative way where we walked away not just with win-win, but we, because we collaborated, we walked away with win-win with value-add. And when you start to frame things in, in those terms, I think people then start to get a little bit of an aha moment to be able to say, oh, yeah, I've experienced that before in the workplace, in the community, with my family, with my friends. Is there, in fact, a better way? So that's my, just my way to be able to say there is an alternative way for you to consider. I'm never saying that it's a better way. I'm saying there's an alternative way for you to consider. And then that's when you can start to then talk about how positions come from interests, how interests and identity work together in order to be able to not just uh, advocate for your position and your interests and your identity, but also to help you understand the interests and identity and position of the other party as well. Where did you come to a lot of this realization of stuff? Is this through courses or, you know, you mentioned about your work in community mediation? Yeah. I, I, think, it's, I think it's been iterative. 
Um, it started not by getting answers, but by ask, by getting answers that created more questions. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, starting with the mediation process and then understanding, you know, understanding how to actually get parties to mediate with a process is one thing, and I think. That's fine if that's as far as you want to go. But I started asking myself, well, why are these parties here? What is it that brought them here? How is it that their emotional side actually helped or hindered them? What weren't they understanding about the other? What were they saying? What were the words that they were using that was that were either working or hindering them moving forward? So all of those things together I started to um, unpack a little bit more by doing a lot of reading, by doing a lot of coursework. The community mediation that um, I do um, has been hugely informative. Um, it's almost like having a laboratory out there to be able to see how things emerge, and but also trying to see if my own skills need to be adjusted and tweaked in some way, shape, or form, and then and then going back into a classroom to be able to teach those skills. Well, when you do the community stuff, you're dealing with real people going through real lived experiences. I mean, when we're at school, we're providing quasi-real, yes. like the role plays, yes. which are controlled conditions that yes. have been created, and they don't have real consequences or impacts per se, though, of course, students could be reacting to certain and, situations. And in some cases, they do get triggered. Yeah. <laughs> I've noticed Though that. Ide- ideally, that's not the intention no. and the hopes, because we try to construct it so that they are safely navigating these. Yeah. Though and it, it, that's a, a conundrum for me because we really want to provide as close a reality so that when they do go out in the real world to do the real practice, they have as close to the real sense of what the situation is going to be. That That's true. I mean, I would hope that what we are also providing them is a set of tools that they haven't had before in their toolbox that if if they encounter a particular situation, they can... They can reach into their toolbox and pull out what they need in order to be able to help mm-hmm. resolve whatever situation they want. And so, you know, while we are, for example, coaching students on mediation, the word mediation for me has both a capital M mediation um, connotation mm-hmm. and a small m mediation connotation. The small m mediation connotation is where we, as a third party, are always helping others to be able to resolve conflicts. And we find ourselves in those situations all the time. It can be with family members, with friends, community You mean members. as a human being, even though you're a mediator, you still have conflict and you're like That's negative amazing, conflict? amazing, isn't it? Oh, my God, you're nutty. <laughs> I don't know how good you are as a mediator. Oh, then. my goodness. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know. Ask no, the parties that question. That's a reflective point. The thing is... We are all human beings, regardless of we are as a professional. We are. That's what makes us kind of interesting, isn't it? I mean, can you imagine if we were all the same? How horrible that would be? Boring. Boring. Diversity is such a richness of opportunity. It is. And that goes back into the identity thing. It is. Yeah. And, yeah. and when we have that, uh, you know, when we start to recognize um, what those kinds of um, issues and what that diversity is, that helps us get to help parties and their relationships better. There's a lot of things that we could still talk about. We there are. We have a lot of stuff that... There's a lot of meat on the bone. There's there. a lot of meat here, and yeah. I, you know, I like meat. Yeah, I, do. <laughs> I do too. I'm a carnivore. Although, I, although there's a sh- there, I don't want to say there's a shortage of the grocery stores. Can I give a shout-out to our grocery store 
folk who are really keeping us. Um, I think you know, you're doing that right now. Well, they're keeping us. You know, hats off to them. I mean, well, I mean, you know, when I look at the whole um, pandemic situation we're in, this could degrade into a whole slew of different kinds of conflict, couldn't it? I believe a lot of that, you know, from what was happening prior pre uh, pre pandemic to current pandemic to then post pandemic, I think the whole world will transition or transform into something new and different and. I mean, I'm hoping that it's a better world, though, of course, from reality perspective, uh, you know, we don't have control over that. We try to inject our our contribution some way. Well, I think it's like anything. I think, uh, <clears throat> you know, we fear what we don't understand. And uh, when we start to recognize or we start to help um, other individuals overcome the fear, we help we necessarily help them to adapt. Um, as well. So I regard this whole pandemic situation as another form of adaptation um, mm-hmm. for us. Um, I choose not to, and while it's, while it's devastating from a negative standpoint in terms of, of the virus itself, um, I see a lot of positive things that have come out um, as a consequence of this um, in just the way people are treating each other, the way that they are recognizing that, yeah. um, you oh. know, Hopefully that will take hold in some way to attach itself as a foundation or a template to continue on afterwards. I hope so. So that there actually is no afterwards. It's a continuum it's a continuum, of life. Yes, I would hope so. So how do you see people's taking their differences as to identity and when they negotiate and reframing that as into an opportunity? Well, I think, uh, you know, I think the, the, the first step is to give recognition um, to the fact that identity issues are important. Um, I've often said that when it comes to conflict resolution, there are two things that are absolute musts um, to have in order to resolve a conflict. One is that um, emotions must be recognized and de-escalated. That's the that's the first uh, thing. The second thing is that everybody's interests must, in fact, be addressed. Your interests, if you're a party to the conflict, the other party's interests um, as being a party to the conflict. And I really think that identity issues need to be recognized. The fact that um, how I see myself through this negotiation, um, my self-worthiness, my competency and how the other person sees their competency and their self-worthiness uh, are important considerations. If I can help the other side meet their interests um, while at the same time meeting my interests, but do it in a way that they continue to feel worthy and competent, they feel that their role is appreciated, they feel affil- that they can feel affiliated, um, they feel a sense of fairness, all of those things are identity issues that will necessarily help strengthen the end result of what we negotiate, but more importantly, strengthen the relationship going forward um, so that we're not uh, just entering into a win-win, we're entering into a win-win collaboratively, collaboratively with value-add. Yeah, and that they don't see collaboration as, as giving up something. It's actually acquiring something. Correct. And collaboration, in, in negotiation parlance, is collaboration is important because Unless you collaborate, you, unless you are working with the other person, you cannot get that additional 
uh, value add. Yeah, we say expand the, the pie there. Expand the pie. Yes. So um, what do you hope people take away from our conversation? Well, I, I, I hope we have given <clears throat> I hope we have given people an, a, a bit of an education just to even think through and and perhaps even not necessarily answer their questions but actually help them formulate new questions that they hadn't thought of before. In other words, I hope we've piqued some curiosity. Raise their curiosity. There. Yeah. Their sense of curiosity. wonderment. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, if you don't know um, these terminologies that we've used in terms of interests, I hope you take an opportunity to Google, you know, what are interests in negotiation or what is identity in, in uh, negotiation or resolving conflict Wh or what is identity. Mm -hmm. um, and that's a very good first step in terms of helping people to get a little bit more grounded um, and help. And I would say, though, result. with curiosity, it starts with the step before that for me. It's having an open mind. It the is. The concept of open-mindedness. That's very true. Yeah, because because that's a, that's an absolute must. Because when we're closed-minded, uh, we aren't curious, are we? No, we think we know it all. That's and there's, true. The absence of in, intention or expectation of others. Yeah. Look how curious we've been with each other tonight. Well, we're unpacking this. We are. In a way. Yeah. So how do you see, you know, the conversation in any way contributing to your own perspective of practice? Well, I think, you know, having these conversations for me, whether I'm doing it at teaching or whether I'm doing it in mediation, because I do use mediation opportunities um, to, to also help uh, inform and teach. Um, uh, the thing about teaching, the thing about having conversations with individuals such as yourself is to be able to see where I'm right. Uh, or not necessarily where well, I'm right. You know, I'll put it back. This yeah. is not about right. This no, no. Is, your perspective I, I, I is caught, your power. I caught myself. Yeah, right. absolutely. Yeah. It, it's it's to, to be able to see if my thinking is actually what kind of a reaction or response um, is my perspective. In relation uh, to another. In, in relation to somebody else. Yeah. If I'm getting a lot of pushback, then it's not so much the fact that it's pushback and I'm not trying to get the other individual to acquiesce to my perspective. Mm -hmm. It gives me an opportunity to go back and reflect on what is it that I am missing that perhaps I haven't um, blended into my thinking uh, going forward. And I would still encourage you to, you know, what you're going to do anyway. So it, this is a generalism outside. If you believe in yourself... That's the power to it start is. with yeah, and then build upon that yeah. to then be curious. Yes. To ask more that's and then the, learn yeah. and do. Yeah, that's the secret. The secret out there is to, is to be curious. And the more curious you are, the better you will become in terms of being able to um, understand various situations and, and understand both your perspective and the perspective of others. All right, so we... Uh, we have the journey on now. Already? Yeah. Jeez, it's gone by so fast. Well, I, I'd say let's stay for the next show. <laughs> Though we're, do you sing Italian? Um, I do not, but, but perhaps you're giving me something that I should be working on. Be curious about it, of I course. I will. I will. All I, right. We, uh, we do have to say good night. Thank you very much for being thank here. Thank you for having me. And, and having I the conversation. Hope, uh, hope we can carry this on again sometime. You're, you're welcome to do so. We'll, we'll figure that out. Okay. All right. You've been listening to Mediation Station on CHHA 1610 AM.